Let's pray. Father, we've just heard your word read to us, and we pray uh, that now we would hear you speak to us, uh, that you speak to our ears, but also to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Courtroom dramas are a staple of any TV schedule. Some of the most memorable lines in movie history have come from courtroom dramas. For those of you who are into the classics, who can forget To Kill a Mockingbird? Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch closes the film at summing up to the jury. Do your duty. And the lines hang in the air. For those of you with a more uh, popular bent, who can forget a few good men? Tom Cruise sparring with Jack Nicholson. What do you want? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. doesn't get much better than that. The setup is familiar even if we've never been in a courtroom. On the one side, we have the plaintiff claiming he has been wronged and a lawyer defending him. On the other side is the accused and a lawyer defending him. There are a jury who need to be convinced of guilt or innocence. Presiding over all of this, we have the judge. His decision is final. Eventually, he will announce the verdict. Guilt and punishment or innocence and the declaration, you are free to go. When he announces his verdict, one side is vindicated and the other is vanquished. One side's version of events meets with the jury's approval and the other side's story is discredited. One goes free with head held high and the other is dishonored and led away in chains. In ancient Jewish law, all cases would be tried like this. In fact, there was no jury, just a judge deciding in one party's favour. In those days, there were no police. If someone had wronged you, it was up to you to bring the matter before a judge. You would present the evidence. You would gather witnesses to support your case. And you would hope that the judge decided in your favour, that your story met with the judge's approval. One side would be justified in the judge's eyes and the other discredited. This is the meaning of a term common in the Bible but unfamiliar to us today. Justification. To be justified is to be vindicated, to meet with approval, to show that the judge is on your side. And it's more than just this. It also means to be affirmed. This last week, many families would have uh, received A-level results. Trepidation would have uh, mounted as the the scores were put up on the board or the envelope uh, was opened. There'd be a moment of judgment. Have the right decisions been made? Have the right courses been studied? Has the right effort been put in? Has the right sixth form been chosen? Beyond that, has the right course been applied for? Has the right university uh, been sought? For some, there'll be disappointment. 
But for others, there'll be loud hoorays. There'll be moments of justification, moments of approval, moments of deep emotion. Everything has turned out right. Everything has come to fruition. Everything has ended as it should. And for those who experience that moment of affirmation, that moment of justification, it's a moment they will never forget. When Jesus talks about justification, he's talking about receiving divine approval. He's talking about being found right in the sight of God. He's talking about receiving his divine blessing. And that's what he's talking about in this parable, in this story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Luke reminds us right at the beginning of this story that Jesus isn't talking to a neutral crowd. But he's talking to people who are convinced of their own righteousness. To people who are assured of their own standing before a heavenly judge to people who are confident of the evidence they can gather in defense of their case. So Jesus tells the story. A Pharisee and a tax collector. Two men who visit the temple to pray. The Pharisee is a religious leader amongst the Jews. He's one of the guardians of faith and the law. The Jews in the audience would know who Jesus was talking about. There would be Pharisees in their midst. And to them, the Pharisee was a good guy. The Pharisee was the cowboy in the white hat. The Pharisee was a man whose faith was genuine and sincere. The Pharisee was a leader of the religious community of the town. His life was dedicated to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He followed the Mishnah, which explained the Torah and expanded upon it. He lived his life in accordance with the Talmud, a commentary upon the Mishnah, a commentary on the Torah. You get the idea. The Pharisee enters the temple And he stands to pray, the customary attitude of prayer. He stands probably in a prominent place and he raises his hands to heaven. And he prays. And his prayer is interesting. And to our ears, tuned to hypocrisy, there are hints of hubris. I thank you that I am not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like robbers and adulterers. I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I pay my tithes, my uh, religious uh, giving to the church. I fast uh, twice weekly. The evidence is that this was a genuine prayer of the Pharisees. Uh, Prayers very similar to it have been found written down uh, from writings of the same time. The crowd would have understood this as the prayer of a righteous man, faithful in religious observance, fasting regularly, giving a tenth of all that he receives. And yet, and yet, says Jesus, 
He, rece- he leaves the temple without the divine approval he so obviously presumes is his. In contrast, we have the tax collector. The villain of the peace, the sheriff of Nottingham, stealing from the poor and filling his coffers, exploiting those who can't defend themselves. In public opinion, he was on a level with robbers and thieves. He was shunned by respectable people. And to the crowd's amazement, to the crowd's astonishment, this vagabond dares to enter the temple too. But note, he stands at a distance. His eyes are bowed. He beats his breast in contrition. And a simple prayer comes forth. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then there is the twist in the tale. Jesus tells us, this man, this tax collector, this man goes home justified. This man goes home with his head held high. This man goes home with God's blessing and approval. This would come as a complete surprise for Jesus' listeners. This would come as a complete reversal of their expectations. There's been no fault in the Pharisee. He's done everything as prescribed by the law. There's nothing in defense of the tax collector. There's no extenuating circumstances There's no character references. There's no witnesses brought forth in his defense. There's no reparation of wrongs committed. There's no evidence of a change of life. What is going on? Jesus invites us to look into the hearts of these two men. And because it's just a story, we can do just that. He invites us to look a little closer at the prayers these men pray. Jesus once said that out of the overflow of a man's heart, so he speaks. Their prayers reveal their hearts, and it's their hearts that Jesus is interested in. The Pharisee, a man of prayer, Praise, literally according to the Greek, to himself. His focus is on himself, on his virtues and his lack of vices. His focus is on the externals, on what he has done and what he has not done, of the good things of which he is proud. The tragedy of the Pharisee is that his virtue has blinded him to the need for God's mercy. He needs God's grace, as we all do. But the tragedy is, he's so sure of his standing before God, he's so sure of his virtue, he can't see his need for God's grace. The first lesson for us is that goodness is a matter of the heart 
as much as of actions and behavior. Scripture teaches us not to rob, not to commit adultery, not to steal from the poor, not to be dishonest with our taxes. But it's much more complicated than that. Scripture teaches us that goodness is also a matter of the heart, a matter of love, a matter of joy, a matter of patience, a matter of self-control. Jesus reminds us that we can look good on the outside, but on the inside we can be corrupt. The tax collector, in contrast, has a full appreciation of who he is. If you look carefully at his prayer, he actually prays, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. It's not translated that way in our English translations. The translators have uh, tidied it up a little bit. But actually, the sense of it is that the tax collector enters the temple and he looks around. And he's aware that he is noticed. And he looks around and he sees a room full of good people, a room full of uh, Pharisees, a room full of devoted, honest people. And he knows himself to be the sinner in the midst. And so he presumes to do the only thing that he can do, and that's to presume to fall upon God's grace. And so he cries, have mercy on me, a sinner. He asks for mercy because that's all that he may presume to ask for. He trusts in God's grace because that's the only thing that he can trust in. He's honest about his situation before God. He knows the truth of a verse from Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Stories told of a village in Scotland where all the cottages were painted white. People took great pride in the appearance of their uh, cottages. They would spend many hours uh, whitewashing the walls. There was great uh, honour attached to the person who had the whitest cottage. And they'd feel very proud as they looked at their lovely uh, polished white walls and then looked around at the rather grubby walls of their neighbours. And then, in the midst of winter, the snow fell. The next morning, the villagers awoke and they each came out of their little white cottages. And they looked around, and they looked around at the blanket white, uh, pristine, uh, virgin snow. And then they looked at their own whitewashed walls. And they saw that, yes, some uh, cottages were cleaner than others. Some were brighter than others. Some were more white uh, than others. But in comparison with the pure white snow... They all looked a little tarnished. The tax collector is honest about who he is and his need for God's grace. And his humility is vindicated. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be lifted up. 
in Bethlehem in Israel, there is a huge church. And it's called the Church of the Holy Nativity. Uh, It's a church built, uh, reputed to be on the site uh, where Jesus was born. Over the years, different parts have been added to the church and it's grown and grown and grown and become uh, a big uh, religious complex. It's looked after by uh, monks of different Christian uh, denominations. It's unique uh, for a church in that it has only one door. There's only one access to the sanctuary. There's only one access to the holy place inside. And it's a door called the Door of Humility. And it has that name for a special reason. At the time of the Crusades and the conquests, uh, the Muslims uh, invaded Jerusalem and they captured uh, the church of the Holy Nativity. And uh, just as Christians defiled uh, Muslim holy places, so the Muslims sought to defile Christian holy places. And so they rode their horses into the church. They passed one after the other uh, through the the door and into the sanctuary and they sought uh, to defile it. Years later, when the church was under the control of the Ottoman Empire, it was returned to the Christians who had uh, care of it. And they vowed that this would uh, never happen again, that the church would never be desecrated in this way. And so they built the door of humility. To all extents and purposes, it is a normal door, except it stands only 48 inches high, four feet. No one will ever ride through that door again. In fact, few can walk tall uh, through that door. Anyone who would enter must bow low. I tell you the truth, says Jesus. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I tell you, it was the tax collector who went away vindicated rather than the Pharisee. Because he was better? No. Because he lived a more upright life? No. Because he knew exactly who he was. Because he was honest about himself and his standing before God. And because he trusted in Christ alone and trusted in God's mercy alone. As Jesus said, let he or she who has ears to hear, hear. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you.